I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome to the first RHS Gardening Podcast of 2014. Happy New Year! In these fortnightly podcasts, we bring you a mixture of features and discussions exploring every aspect of gardening. Plant care, pest control, container ideas, growing your own fruit and vegetables, plus expert seasonal advice on what you should be doing in your garden right now. I'm Jenny Bowden, one of the team of horticultural advisors here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. Coming up in this edition, a guide to key jobs that you can tackle now that will give your garden the kickstart for the year ahead. RHS experts answer your seasonal gardening questions and the latest news on events across our four RHS gardens, including the stunning tropical butterfly exhibit in the Wisley Glasshouse. But first, The extreme winds and rain of recent weeks have caused a lot of damage to plants and gardens across the UK. The RHS advice team have been answering countless questions about how gardeners can repair damaged plants and prevent further problems due to waterlogged soil. So what can you do if you've been affected? Here's Lee Hunt from the RHS advice team with some suggestions. We've been getting two sets of problems from our members reported from all this weather that we've all been seeing on the news. And really, it does fall into those two categories of wind and wet. The wind, because we had a lot of it before Christmas and more recently, has caused a lot of problems with trees. We've been seeing a number of things. Limbs being broken off. We're getting trees literally coming down, so uprooted. And in some cases as well, the soil is so saturated, they've started to lean because there's nothing for the roots to hold on to. Really, with all these things, you need a qualified tree surgeon to take a look. Obviously, if it's come down, they can clear it and remove it, take it away, sort it for you, and even take out the stumps so there's nothing left to deal with. If your limbs come down, then it's worth getting them to make sure that it's safe as well, because you don't want anything else coming down if we get more weather happening over the coming months. If you have got a tree that's on a lean, then that really does need checking by a tree surgeon. It's possible it will have to come down, but at the very least, perhaps if it's a younger tree, it can be straightened up with a stake or with uh, wires to guide the ground so that it firms up again. But it'll need checking. If you need a qualified tree surgeon, the best thing to do is go online seek out the Arboricultural Association website and they've got a list of approved contractors. That's your very best way to make sure you've got someone who really does know their stuff. 
Moving on to the issue of all this rain that we've been having, it's caused two types of issues, really. There's the initial problem where you've got things like compaction and hard surfaces, so you get temporary puddles. They'll see that's only going to last several days until the rain goes away. But you can solve that quite easily by spiking lawns and by trying to minimise, if you're thinking about paving over, perhaps in the front garden or putting a patio in, make sure that it's somewhere for the water to drain and try and have permeable paving. For lots of people, though, the issue has been proper flooding. That's where the, the groundwater is really come up and above the soil level so there's nowhere for the water to go and certainly around Wisley in the outlying fields we can see that water sitting and it's of course for many people it's come into their gardens as well that one obviously you can't do much until the water has drained away naturally and that the water's gone down it'll lead to quite a number of problems if it's been a short period of flooding then at this time you're in the winter when the the plants aren't in active growth probably not much damage will happen but if you get prolonged water sitting there for many weeks then you'll start to literally get the roots drowning so they rot and turn a blackish blue color if you inspect them that will be more problematic but you probably won't see the effects until the spring because they're not growing at the moment it will be when they try and grow you might see poor growth or no growth at all so you'd have to deal with those plants then either by just letting them see if they do perk up and grow new roots or you know in some cases it'll be digging them out for all these problems obviously if you're just getting flooding and it is due to excessive rain and it's rare occurrence in your garden you might not have to do anything else but if you are seeing it on a regular basis then do you think about raising beds because if you can raise the soil level hopefully it'll get it above the water table and also you can choose plants that are water tolerant i'm not talking just about things like willow here Uh, there's a whole list on our website that you can search out and finally if you have had issues with flooding be aware that you might encounter things like sewage and heating oil as well so do wear gloves check over the debris and if you've got things like vegetables then obviously you might not want to eat them but at the very least do cook them lee hunt from the rhs advice team you can find more gardening tips and advice on waterlogging on the RHS website, rhs.org.uk forward slash gardening forward slash advice. I'm Jenny Bowden and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Once you feel able to brave the weather, go outside and pick up your tools once again, what are the key jobs you should be tackling to give your plants a great start for the upcoming growing season? Bernard Boardman from the RHS Garden Wisley team has some suggestions. Hi, it's uh, Bernard Boardman here from the fruit department at Wisley. As we get past Christmas and maybe we've got some uh, Christmas money to spend, you might think about uh, buying some new fruit trees. And now uh, is absolutely the peak time of tree planting, Uh, especially if you're planting bare-rooted specimens which is it's always better they're actually a lot cheaper than the potted varieties and you'll find that they've got a good root system um, they tend to establish more easily and while they're in their dormant phase sort of between uh, end of November and end of March 
it's the ideal time to be planting them so get out there and buy some nice young trees and get them planted in the early part of the year If you fancy a drier and warmer gardening activity, how about coming to visit the stunning exhibition of tropical butterflies here at the Glass House at RHS Garden Wisley? Here's Sean Thomas to tell us more. My name's Sean Thomas. I'm the Garden Visits Editor for the RHS and I write about the RHS Gardens and our network of RHS partner gardens. One wonderful event in winter at Wisley is the Butterflies in the Glass House event which starts on the 18th of January and goes through to the 9th of March and it's a very popular event and for good reason. It's such a stunning experience to be in the warmth of the Glass House with a collection of tropical butterflies just flitting and floating around amongst the palms and the exotic plants. It's particularly nice when they land on leaves or perhaps on the feeders and then you can see them up close, admire their colours, compare the different patterns on their wings and we also have interpretation to, to help you understand the different species and their life cycles. This year children can help create a giant willow sculpture of a butterfly on the 18th and 19th of January and we also have some giant chrysalis sculptures created by Oxford artist Jane Wafer which you can look at as well. There are plenty of events organised to coincide with the butterflies as well if you want to get more involved. We have flights of fancy afternoon teas in the restaurant. We also have various photography mornings to help you capture these amazing insects. You can choose from tutored photography mornings or untutored if you'd like to just go and, and wander around and take shots on your own. During February half term, we also have a range of events to, to get children inspired and excited by the butterflies. They can make mosaic butterfly window decorations, they can make hats, and they can also sow and grow plants that are known to attract butterflies. So it's, it's a perfect event for the family, and it's a, it's a really good way of washing away the winter blues. As an RHS member, you get free entry to all our four RHS gardens, Harlow Carr in Yorkshire, Hyde Hall in Essex, Rosemore in Devon, and here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. Here are some of the other events happening at our gardens this month. Treat yourself to a two-course meal deal on Mondays to Fridays between the 6th and the 31st of January for just 7 95 in the Barn Restaurant, RHS Garden Hyde Hall, where there is a wide variety of customer favourites such as hearty soups, pies, salads, pasta and cakes. Come to RHS Garden Wisley from the 11th of January to the 30th of March to see sculptures by renowned sculptor David Watkinson. Inspired by the harmony and law of physics and life on Earth, this RHS Chelsea Flower Show exhibitor brings a different perspective to the garden. All sculptures are available to buy and the exhibition is open daily. Come to RHS Garden Rosemore on the 16th of January from 2 to 3.30pm for a comprehensive demonstration on the pruning and training of all roses, from climbers and ramblers to shrubs and modern varieties. Learn about nutrition and disease of roses, as well as getting handy tips. Details of all these events, as always, are on the website at rhs.org.uk forward slash gardens. Now, if you're a regular listener to the RHS Gardening Podcast, you'll already know our experts from the advisory team join us regularly to answer your gardening questions.
Let's join my colleagues in the RHS advisory team to hear advice on some of your January questions. We have an inquiry here from uh, Roger Bentley. Uh, What should I do with my Christmas plants after the festive period? Uh, Roger's particularly concerned about his poinsettias and hyacinths. So, So Jenny, what's the answer here? Well, poinsettias will just chug along quite happily with their red, what are actually bracts. The the red colouring are actually bracts and the flowers are right in the centre and they're the little yellow parts of the plant. Um, But they should keep, you should keep that colour going until, oh, up till June or so they can carry on like that um, in a warm place. The most important thing is not to overwater them. Um, So they'll just carry on. There are ways of getting them back into colour again for the following winter. They need uh, half a day of dark and half a day of light throughout November and December. And it can be quite, quite uh, complex how to get them back into, into, into growth with the bracts again. So you may just choose to buy another poinsettia. But you can certainly just enjoy them throughout the summer. Um, just by not overwatering them and keeping them in a sheltered spot, um, just having them in the house. Um, hyacinths are really best just planted out in the garden. If they've been forced, uh, you've enjoyed them for the Christmas period, pop them out in the spring, they'll have a rest, and the following year they'll come back never with the same vigour as they were first time around. A little bit half-hearted, um, but still very attractive to look at for, for years to come in the garden. And, and when we talk about bracts, we're, we're actually talking about they're, they're modified leaves, aren't they, rather than being petals or whatever, which people might assume they actually are. To be botanically correct, yes, Tony. Amaryllis are a long-lived plant. They will just keep keep going. The bulb will increase in size and you can keep them for many, many years. Keep amaryllis growing after they finish flowering. Um, just take the seed pod off so the energy isn't going into producing seeds if you, unless you would like to grow some from seed. Keep the plant growing, keep it watered, keep it fed until um, September time, um, August, September, and then it needs to have a rest. So you would stop watering it, you put it under the staging in the greenhouse or just put it on its side in a sheltered spot so it doesn't get wet anymore. And you make it go to sleep, basically. And then after about six weeks, um, you you start to water it again. You may want to repot it in some John Innes compost, like a loam-based compost, and start to water it. And then you go again. So shoulders out of the soil, two-thirds in the soil, one-third out of the soil. Bring it into growth. And and for these bulbs like hyacinths and... Uh amaryllis or hippiastrum what what would be a good feed then jenny you probably want uh, a balanced fertilizer um and perhaps tending towards high higher potassium so for flowering perhaps uh, dig out right. the, yeah, yeah. tomato feed yeah. from the summer yeah absolutely yes, yes. perhaps our most classic christmas plant is of course the christmas tree um and there's increasing um, numbers of people who don't really like the idea of this poor tree being cut and then thrown away at the end of it. So there's there's more and more households where they're actually buying a tree that's been grown in a pot. Um, what do you do that, with this? Well, you can uh, with that type. 
And when I say grown in a pot, I don't mean it's just been lifted, hoiked out of the field and dumped in the pot. So it should have a nice uh, root system attached to it. But if it is one of those, then you've got the option of not throwing it away after Christmas, but to actually put it in your garden. But a few tips here. One, if you plan to do that with your tree, try not to have it in the house or in a warm room for a long period over Christmas because it won't be happy like that. These are trees that should be outside the, you know, sort of forest trees. So keep it cool, perhaps bring it in just over the few days around Christmas, um, but then get it back into a cool, well-lit outside space as quickly as possible. Then plant it out. Um, If the soil's not frozen or waterlogged, it can go into its final spot. But do remember, most Christmas trees, whether they be spruce or pine trees um, or firs, they get into really quite big trees. So you don't stick that right next to your front door or right next to your neighbours if you're in a little tiny garden. Think about how big it might get and then position it. And if actually it could get too big, either don't plant it out, just keep it as a containerised tree, or you might have to think, well, we'll enjoy it for a few years in the ground and then start afresh. Right, so we've got an email here from Bob Harris. Um, and he says, how can I prevent my dahlia tubers I have stored going mouldy? Jeff, this sounds like one for you. Well, actually, at the moment, there aren't any chemicals or products available to prevent them from going mouldy. Previously, there used to be sulphur dust, which could be used on bulbs and tubers and corms, but that's no longer labelled, although you might still find it in garden centres, but it has not been approved as a fungicide. So it's worth watching out for that. The best thing to do is actually check them before you put them into storage so make sure you get off any mud any soil and actually have a look at them to make sure they're not rotting before being put into storage when they are put into storage so when they're in a tray of uh, peat or sand and in a frosty place the best thing is to check them regularly to make sure they're not rotting throughout the seas over the winter before you then begin to use them next year Yeah, it's a bit of an odd one, really. Sulphur is still available in the shops. You'll find it as green sulphur dust or yellow sulphur dust. The colour is immaterial. Um, But officially, it is only now able to be used as a soil acidifier. And that's usually owing to registration issues um, as opposed to a a health and safety issue in this instance, isn't it, Helen? I think probably the simplest thing to do for gardeners is um, if they've already got sulphur, um, check the packet um, and then compare that packet to uh, a packet that is on the shelves in their local garden centre. Um, and if there is discrepancy there between what the information tells you you can and can't do with it, um, go with the advice that's on the label of the product that's on the shelves because that will have the most up-to-date information about that product. Um, but yeah, um, I mean, sulphur is to some degree an element that plants need in terms of their nutritional take-up. But like Jenny says, um, it should only be used for um, either feeding or acidifying soil, not for its fungicidal use. So things like dusting bulbs and tubers and things into the um, to help reduce rots in the winter, you shouldn't be using it for that purpose. But just really good hygiene. It's always going to be the best recourse for gardeners anyway when they're keeping their perhaps their begonia tubers or the dahlias over winter, um, starting with nice healthy bulbs if you've sliced through it with the spade when you've lifted it that's not a good one to to be keeping and then also 
the storage conditions that you you've got them in try to find somewhere that's nice and airy that's got good air movement around it that's cool but frost free um a garage or a shed or maybe an unheated bedroom something like that it's probably going to be the best place and then you shouldn't have to worry about those those other problems We've got an email here from Lynn Tusk in Leicester who asks, how can I make raised beds? Tony, you're a practical kind of person. Uh, Well, um, raised beds covers a whole number of structures. I suppose at the top end we could be talking about something created from breeze block and brick. But I guess for most people we're talking about structures created from timber. And really, in that case, you, you have two options. If you want something very substantial... Then uh, railway sleepers. I I wouldn't go for the old second-hand tar-treated ones from the railways. Much better these days to go for just new sleepers, uh, which will not have been treated with all these tars and other products which uh, were added to to preserve them. Railway sleepers of that sort will create very substantial raised beds. But if you want something that's serviceable and less costly, then uh, using treated timber with perhaps uh, three-inch square posts in the corners... Uh, will provide a very serviceable, very usable area for particularly vegetable growing. So you could use gravel boards um, or for a, for a sort of small area, you can buy kits, can't you, from uh, you know, horticultural suppliers? That's one That's idea. A, yeah, I mean, there's a whole range of products now actually on the on the market, everything from hardwoods and so on for very exotic and rather expensive structures, but also uh, products made from recycled plastics and such like, which again will last for a long time, although relatively expensive, uh, easy to put together. Depends partly on the scale of your operation, how many raised beds you want. But certainly for a small area, these recycled products are increasingly becoming available and offer a very simple way of creating a very serviceable structure. It's also a really good idea not to make them more than about uh, sort of four foot wide so that you can reach them from both sides and not have a too long a run of them so that you don't get tempted to tread on the tread on the beds uh, so you want to be able to gain access from all sides it's I mean, a very why, practical point why would we make these raised beds they sound like a bit of a faff if your soil is less than uh, less than desirable so if you've got a very claggy clay soil then or you want ericaceous soil maybe perhaps you want to plant um treat as shrubs and plants that like an acidic soil then you can actually get just the right soil for the type of plant that you want to grow so it can have a lot of benefits and i guess the the other thing especially for things like salad leaves which are relatively expensive to buy uh, a small raised bed where you're constantly adding organic material and improving the soil you can create very rich environment for a very high scale production and of course the other advantage of raised beds is that they're ideal to cover uh, with hoops of uh, uh, polythene or, or for example fleece the polythene will actually create a small protected area that will warm up early in spring and also enable you to sow quite late into the autumn and fleece will enable you to exclude creatures such as uh, carrot root fly which will devastate crops such as uh, carrots and uh, also for example parsley very susceptible to celery leaf miner so again a small raised bed with a, a purpose-made cover again is a, a great way of uh, certainly in terms of vegetable production, of uh, uh, maximising your yields. And finally, a letter from Matthew Robinson. Why does manure have to be well rotted? And how can you tell when it is ready to use? Jenny, would you have any suggestions? I suppose most basically, if it doesn't smell anymore. 
um, and also it would be crumbly. So the two, the two things, it shouldn't smell. It should be pretty much like soil if it's very well rotted and you shouldn't be able to identify any straw in there um, or any anything else really. Nice and dark brown and odourless I think is the, is the key to it. And it ought to be uh, well rotted because if it's not, then um, it can actually rot. It can actually rot roots. It can actually scorch roots. And it can be just far too strong for fine roots. Yes, I guess we've... um Anybody that's read in an article or in a gardening book, uh, manure it goes hand in hand with well rotted. And um, you're probably not going to do major damage if it's not. But uh, if we remember how um, what the source is, manure, this is very nitrogen rich. It's the ammonia from whatever, whether it be horses or uh, cows or whatever. Um, and when that's sort of less than six months old, usually that ammonia level, the nitrogen is really quite high. And that can, as Jenny says, that can scorch plant roots anything green can get a um, um a, really quite damaged by that but as time goes by and if you can get um, manure that says is um, over six months ideally maybe 12 months old the chances of that scorch risk is really very low because that nitrogen has broken down often can leach out um, i just also perhaps advise if gardeners are going to um, source their own manure rather than buy it already bagged up if they're perhaps going to a stables or a farm um, that they just have a little look at the quality of it um, is it uh, perhaps uh, quite fine is it going to be suitable is it very coarse what do you want it for also if you're collecting your own is it very weedy on the top of the pile of manure that's not perhaps going to be something you want to take home with you and distribute all those weeds around so yeah it's probably easiest way and most reliable ways to buy it bagged from a garden center um, the other thing that you might want to question especially if you're going to let's say a, um, a stables is to just ask for assurances that there's no weak color residues in manures this is something that um, we've seen the old case of in recent years not so common now but um, professional weak killers can have been used um, so if you can get that assurance that it's not going to do any damage to your crops um, but we certainly don't want to put people off using manure it's a great um, what we call soil conditioner or soil improver it opens up the structure of heavy soils it improves drainage it improves water retentive properties of the soil so good stuff usually all round. And I guess if there is a question mark, if you look at manure, if there's yellow straw actually in it or in the case of uh, stable manure, which is often the case where the the animals are bedded on shavings, the crucial thing is stack it for six months in a pile, keep it well watered. And over that time, it will gradually break down and decompose. And after that time, you'll have a very useful material. But as Helen says, any organic matter you can add to your soil is beneficial. And animal manures are a great source of uh, organic matter. The RHS Advisory Team. Remember, RHS members can contact the team by phone, email or letter for free help with any gardening queries. If you'd like details on how you can become a member of the RHS, just go to rhs.org.uk forward slash join. We're out of time on this edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, remember to follow us on Twitter at the underscore RHS and like us on Facebook. 
For now, from me, Jenny Bowden, and the team here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey, goodbye. Walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.